Welcome to Victory Fellowship's online podcast library. We hope that you enjoy this message today. So that's, I wanna, I'm going to share this morning from one of the miracles of Jesus in Mark chapter 2. And they're going to put it on the overhead. But if you have your big Bible, you can take it out and look at it too. Um, anyway, Mark chapter 2. This is awesome, one of the awesome stories. This is, um, you know, it's one of those stories, oh, you know, oh, I've heard that story before, so I'm going to read my emails right now or whatever. But, but this is the Word of God. It's alive, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And every time we look at it, it's, it's alive to us and it speaks to us. And this is the story that's about a man who, who was carried to Jesus by four of his friends. He was paralyzed and it seems like he would be, you know, his whole, it seemed like a paraplegic or something like that. He could not walk. He couldn't function. He was totally paralyzed, like apparently from his neck down. And, uh, you know, so this story, you think, well, that doesn't relate to me. I'm not paralyzed and, and I not, might not even be having showing any signs of sickness and disease. But this, this story is not only about people who are physically paralyzed. It's talking about people that are also emotionally physically and spiritually paralyzed. There's all sorts of paralyzed people sitting in these pews this morning. People that are, they've been paralyzed from the the abortion that they got. They've been paralyzed by going through a problem with their marriage, a divorce, lost their job, whatever, whatever their kids did this or they did that or somebody went to jail or tragedy struck, your, your dreams fell apart, lost your house. Whatever, there's a million stories in here and, and those things tend to paralyze us and keep us from being able to receive from God. They just harden our hearts and we become colds and we just become like statues or, or paralytics who can no longer function in life. Well, today, the Lord's presence is here and just as he heals physically, he wants to heal you in your spirit, in your mind, in your emotions, in your soul, and in your body if you need physical healing because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let's, let's look a little bit at this story again. It says, he entered into Capernaum after some days and it was heard in the King James, it says, it was noised about that he was in the house. Immediately, excuse me a second, sorry. Um, so immediately, he, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. And they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. 
Immediately he rose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So this, this, this is what happens when Jesus comes to visit your house. This, this is what happens when, when Jesus steps into your life. Our God is not a dead God. He's not a God who did things only in the past. He's not a God that, that only did things in Bible days and is going to do things in the future when the rapture comes and we enter into the millennium and the new heavens and the new earth. No, our God is I am and I am is alive today. The, the question that has to be answered this morning is I am living and breathing in life. If you, I need um, some monitors up here, guys, a little bit more. So again, it says, I want to read this first verse. Again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. Here's this one sentence, this statement from John Trapp. This is what John Trapp said about this verse. He said, the son of righteousness could as little lie hid as the sun in heaven. He said when Jesus came into this house, now m- most people believe it was actually um, Simon Peter's house, the fisherman's house in, in, um, in Capernaum. And when Jesus came into this fisherman's house in this little fishing village, John Trapp was saying, it'd be like trying to hide the sun in the sky. You can't hide the sun in the sky. Impossible! When Jesus came to visit Simon Peter in his house in Capernaum, it was impossible to keep him hid. The son of righteousness can't be hidden that way. Now, I guess this, 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 the question that we have to ask ourselves, is the son of righteousness alive in my life today? Is he moving in my life today? Do I have, and somehow am I trying to hide him under a bushel basket? Or is the light of his presence being seen in my life? Being seen in my lifestyle? Being seen in my words? Being seen in my attitudes? Being seen in my worship? Being seen in the things that I love to do with my life? It's a litmus test of where you are in Christianity. Is Jesus in your house? And when he is, there's going to be the light of the glory of God shining in your house and shining in your life. And the results is going to be wholeness. He's going to bring you out of your paralytic state. He's going to speak into your life, rise and be healed. He's going to bring life to you, bring you out of your bondage, out of your fears, out of your your worries and your stress and your anxiety and out of your bondages in this life, out of your addictions. He's going to break the chains of paralysis from off of you. The Son of God is shining like the radiant sun in the sky today. So in verse number two, it says, straightway many were gathered together insomuch there was not any room to receive them. Not so much about the door. And he preached the word of God unto them. So that Jesus was, was preaching the word in this place. I love that. Jesus of Nazareth was preaching the word of God. 
How, can you imagine what it must have been like to hear the Son of God, the Son of Man, proclaiming the Word of God? After all, He is the Word of God. And when He opened His mouth, it was the Father's Word that proceeded out of His mouth like a sword. It was like the sword of the Spirit penetrating the very hearts and minds and lives of the people that were present. Well, here's the good news for you today. The Word of God is still the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is still a living thing. It's alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It penetrates our lives. It penetrates our thoughts. It's able to penetrate even thoughts and tensions of our life. It's able to expose things and heal things and take things off and put things into us. The Word of God is a living thing. The Word of God is alive in the written form, in this book, as you read it, as you meditate on it, as you bring it into your heart and into your mind. It'll be God's Word speaking into your very spirit. He'll speak words of life, and it'll penetrate your life. Jesus will preach the Word of God from the written book every day of your life. You know, this, that's why I say probably in every sermon some kind of way, I say guard religiously, guard jealously your private time with God. Have that private time and jealously guard it. Get in the Scriptures for yourself. Feast on the Word of God and you'll find Jesus preaching into your soul. He's always preaching the Word of God. David said day after day, even creation is uttering forth the Word of God. When Jesus stood in this house, He began to proclaim the Word of God. Well, today there is, there is an anointing in the preaching of the Word of God. Oh yeah, there is, just as there's an anointing in music when a man of God that's called of God with the Holy Ghost on his life begins to preach under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, there's life, there's penetration, there's instruction, there's life change, there's healing, there's deliverance, there's wholeness, there's transformation. They will go right into our very soul. It's more than instruction. It's more than hints from Heloise. It's more than tidbits, little tips on how to live your best life now. It's the very living, God-breathed Word of God that will enter into your soul, preach it under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. It's powerful. Oh yeah, you know, it's, it's disgusting to me when people begin to treat it as just a, a place to get tips on how to live a better life. These are not tips. I stand under, under, on this platform with fear and trembling, desperately pleading, God, Lord, speak through my voice. Let me speak today as a mouthpiece. Let me speak into hurting souls. Let me speak into paralytics, people that have come in here bound with the chains of paralysis on their soul. Lord, let the word of God enter their soul and break the chains today. Bring liberation. There's power in his name. There's healing in His name. There's forgiveness in His name. There's life in His name. Today, the Word of God can penetrate your very soul, can penetrate to the depths of your soul, can break every lie and snip those chains off so that you're free in your mind, free in your soul to love God and live for God, not to be ashamed of the gospel anymore. There's power in the Word of God. So, and then it goes on, it says, they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born by four, by four. 
You know, this is, this is awesome. Um, I've re- I've, there's another little quote here by, by John Trapp. It says, this is, he was talking about the paralytic. He said, wicked men are living ghosts, walking sepulchers of themselves. Bring them to Christ that they may be cured. Their friends, Mark 2, the, these, friend, these, were, the, these were true friends. They did whatever they needed to do to bring their friend to the feet of Christ. That's a real friend. That's a real friend. They, they had to pick him up and carry him on their backs. We don't know how long they had to go, whether it was a, a few hundred feet or a few miles, but they carried their friend on their backs. They got to the meeting, and they were not going to be denied. Too many people packing into the house. They went up on the roof, ripped the tiles off the roof, and let him down into the meeting. They weren't going to be denied. These were true friends. You know, some of us are afraid to tell our friends. We're afraid we're going to lose our friends. You don't have a friend. If you, if you don't tell them about Jesus, you're hating their soul, my brothers and sisters. It's your responsibility as a friend, as a family member, to tell, to find the wisdom of God and the opportunity, but to bring these friends of yours to the feet of Jesus Christ. The last thing you ever want to see is stand before the Lord and them ask you, why did you never tell me? Why did you never tell me? It's, oh, yeah, so this, you know, I told the people last night, I asked them, you know, why do we do Feed the Multitudes every year? You know, it's to minister to hurting people, of course. But that's not the real reason I do it. That's not, even though that's what happens. The real reason I do it, because I know that there's people in our church that are not presently putting themselves in a position to touch other hurting people on a regular basis. I know there's people in our church that are they're, they're because they're distracted or they're, they got their own problems. And so many times we have our own problems and, and we can't get, our, can't get ourselves free. We're like we're paralyzed and we can't get free to go help someone else. And this 24th time we did this, I do it because a miracle happened the first time we did it. The first time we did it, our whole church was paralyzed. We were all paralyzed. As a con- we had a congregational of par- anointing of paralysis on our church, a corporate anointing. It had happened because we'd gone through a, a corporate trial. We had been beat in the heads trying to build this building. We were facing corporate bankruptcy, and we're sitting there with stunned and angry on our faces like this in the church. And the Lord performed a miracle. And the first, looking into the eyes of homeless, looking into the eyes of single moms, looking into the eyes of hurting children, looking into the eyes of people from nursing homes that were, couldn't walk, couldn't, couldn't do whatever, looking into their eyes and the love of God, and God began to open our hearts to become real friends. Said, don't shout me down. When so yeah, this is, this, to be a real friend, to, to do whatever you can do to, to bring your friend to your home group. 
to do whatever you can do to bring your friends to one of these services where they can. It's one thing to tell them about Jesus, but, but there's something different when you get in here under this atmosphere that touches people's hearts. Just like there was something different in Peter's house that day. It was important for them to get the, that guy into Peter's house where the anointing was moving in that service. It was important for that to happen, and they weren't going to take no for an answer. They had to get him in that place at that time. There's people that you know that desperately need to come and be, whether you have to carry them on your back and bring them into this church. Oh yeah. Well, I'm I'm messing with your own business right now, but this is what, this is, this is my job. I'm a preacher. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to, I'm not supposed to make you feel everything's okay when it's not okay. That's a liar, and that's not a true friend. A true friend who loves you is going to tell you the truth, and that's what I'm endeavoring to do today. You have people around you that are hurting, that need Christ desperately, and you're afraid to tell them because you're afraid they're going to reject you. You've got to take the risk, just like the first kiss. You've got to take a risk to offer them. You're offering them love. You're offering them life. You're offering them hope. You're offering them freedom. You're offering them the greatest of all things you could possibly offer someone. If you love them, bring them to Jesus. I'm not telling you to be a holy roller and beat him on the head with your Bible. Pray about the opportunity. Pray about the wisdom. God will show you the way. The wise man makes knowledge acceptable. And you can make it acceptable and bring him to Christ. Carry him on your back. So they carried this guy on on their back. They had desperate, desperate faith. You know, there comes a time, it's, let me read this, when they could not come nigh unto him because of the press, verse number four, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. So it was desperate. They were abs, they were desperate. There was no way out of their circumstances in the natural. The Lord loves desperate situations. He loves it. He looks for them. Actually, he orchestrates desperate situations for him to move. He's the one that orchestrated the whole thing with Lazarus to show forth the glory of God. He's the one that orchestrated the man who was born blind that God could be glorified. He's the one that orchestrated the whole thing with that man who was paralyzed for 38 years. And in that moment of time, Peter and John said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he found himself walking and leaping and praising God. And his testimony lit a fire in that temple courts. A fire of revival, a fire of harvest that took place. Oh, our God loves the impossible. Do you have an impossible situation in your marriage? Bring it to Jesus. If you have an impossible situation in your finances, bring it to Jesus. If you have an impossible circumstance with your lost children, bring it to Jesus. If you have an impossible circumstance in your health, the doctors say impossible. Bring it to Jesus. All things are possible to him that believes. Our God can and our God does. 
Oh, he's, he's able to open the eyes of the blind and open the ears of the deaf. He's able to break the chains of addiction off of your soul and bring you out of bondage. He's able to bring back your wayward kid and your lost family member. He's able to restore your broken marriage. He's able and he's willing. It's all about his glory. He loves the impossible situations. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, I love this. You know, forgiveness... This is, um, this is powerful. Let me, let me um, read this, this, this test, this, this um, verse 5 through 7. Actually, we'll read a few verses. Now I want to read something to you about healing and forgiveness. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, your sins be forgiven you. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there, reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? You see, in the Bible, sickness... And healing are closely related. Extremely, they're closely related. As a matter of fact, Matthew talks about it. Um, I'll, I'll read that to you in just a... Uh, Matthew, let's... let's uh, Matthew chapter 8, look what Matthew says about, about healing. Matthew verse 8, verse 16 and 7. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah saying he himself took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses and our diseases. Healing and forgiveness met at the cross. Matthew spoke about it. As a matter of fact, this was Matthew talking about this miracle in Peter's house. He was describing this miracle and he said that, that, that healing and forgiveness were displayed at the cross. He said he himself bore our sicknesses and bore our diseases in, in his body on the cross and by his stripes we were healed. Jesus, the same act on the cross that bore your sins, the same act on the cross dealt with your, 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 your sins, dealt with your sicknesses. It was the same thing. He bore your sin. He bore your sicknesses. He bore your diseases. He bore your transgressions. It's what he did at the cross for us. They're closely related and when Jesus looked at this young man the obvious need that he had, his obvious need was physical healing. But in his particular case, in his circumstance that he found himself in, his sickness and disease were connected to his sinful life. Not always that way. Now, let, let, me, let me just backtrack a little bit. Sickness and disease were never the plan of God. Never, never God never intended for man to get sick. Sickness and disease began at the fall. So every sickness and every disease that's here on this planet today is indirectly related to sin. Every one of them. Now the, 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 the case in this situation, some diseases are directly related to sin. Boy, it gets quiet in here. So... I would, I would strongly advise you, root out secret sin from your life. Oh, it's, 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 not only, it's not only bad for your soul, it's bad for your health as well. 
So Jesus was looking at this guy, and, and obviously, you know, healing had been breaking out. The, the thing that they, they first expected him to say was either touch him and lift him up, or tell him to rise up and walk, or stretch forth his arm. Do, that's what he normally did. But in this instant, in this case, Jesus went to the very heart of what this man's problem was. He spoke into this man's life. He looked at this man paralyzed, incapable of loving his family, incapable of holding a job, incapable of doing anything that a normal human being should be able to do in this life. And he looked into his very soul and he said, my son, your sins are forgiven. That's what he said. My son, your sins are forgiven. He could say that because... Just a couple years later, he was going to take this man's sins and his body on the cross. He's proclaiming forgiveness for his sins because he was going to bear his sin in his body on the cross. In the same way, it's, as a matter of fact, he said, and then he turned and he said, so that you in this room can know, know in their hearts, knowing the thoughts of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were sitting there in that room, knowing their thoughts... He turned to them, he said, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Young man, I say to you, pick up your pallet and walk. And so he did. He got up and he began to walk and the people began to praise and glorify God. There is forgiveness for your sins. And there's healing for your body. My Lord, my Lord Jesus came to this earth and he bore all of my sins in his body on the cross. He bore, bore my rebellion. He bore my blasphemy. He bore my lying. He bore my immorality. He bore my lust. He bore my, my treason and my treachery. He bore these things in his body on the cross. And by his wounds, I've been forgiven. He also bore my cancer. He he also bore my glaucoma. He also bore my diabetes. He also bore my heart problems. He also bore my HIV. For he, that's a great example. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that has tainted blood. Your blood has been defiled by a sinful lifestyle. Not that all of it comes from that, but many times HIV comes from using a bad needle or from promiscuous lifestyle. If that's your case, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. And rise and be healed in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. The same death. The same death. The same death that forgave your sins. Is the same death that heals your body. But we don't have a right to go and ask him to heal our body. From Lung cancer, if we're going to keep smoking cigarettes. We don't have a right to ask him to heal us of HIV if we're going to keep shooting drugs into our arms or, or having a promiscuous lifestyle, having sex with people we're not married to. He wants to forgive our sins and lead us out of a sinful lifestyle and restore us and make us whole and heal our bodies. It's what he does. It's what he loves to do. He's a healer, and he's a forgiver of our sins. Now, there's a scripture I want to read to you again, again from Luke's account. 
of this story, just two short verses, and we'll pray. But Luke's account, he, he, you know, Luke was a doctor, and, and every man that looks at things differently, of course, Luke got his story from other eyewitnesses that were there. Luke was a traveling physician with the, with the Apostle Paul, and he wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And here it says, in Luke 5, verse 25 and 26, talking about this same miracle, he says, immediately after he was healed, he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, we've seen strange things today. So they were, they were the, the, the results of forgiveness, of sins. You know, there was people there that knew the sins that this guy had committed. And they were, they were offended, they were more offended about the forgiveness part than the healing parts. And the forgiveness and then the confirmation that Jesus had authority to forgive sins was the, this man rose and walked and they, he began to glorify God. He began to worship God. The people there began to glorify God. You know, and that's, that's what it's about. You know, that's, if, you've, if you've received a healing, glorify God. Tell as many people as you possibly can. Tell everybody that, that'll listen to you what God has done for your soul. It's, your, it's the testimony of Jesus in your life. Tell everyone that'll take a moment of your time and say, I want to tell you what he did for me. I was, I was diagnosed with thus, such, and such, and he healed me, or, or maybe you were with alcohol. Go and tell whatever he did for you. Tell about your alcohol delivery or your cancer deliverance or your homosexuality deliverance or, or whatever it was that you were bound by and how he set you free. Glorify God with your testimony. Tell your story. Tell your story. Tell your story to whosoever will. Tell it at your office. Tell it at your home. Start a small group and read the Bible and, and tell your story. Tell your story like Paul did over and over and over again. Every time you tell it, the anointing of Jesus will come because it's the testimony. It's not your testimony. That testimony this morning about a, a tumor that was healed, that wasn't, that was not Linda's testimony, Linda Edwards' testimony. That was Jesus' testimony. That was the testimony of Jesus. It's what he did. No one in this place, no doctor, no preacher, no human can dissolve a tumor. Jesus did that. Jesus straightened that lady's spine that was healed. Jesus did that. Jesus raised up this paralytic. Jesus did that. It wasn't a preacher. It wasn't a doctor. It was our God in heaven. Glorify him. Tell the stories. Tell your story. Now here's, this is the last verse I want to read. And this is how we're going to finish today. I want you to think about this room. It was, it was a fisherman's house. I mean, a fisherman's house. This guy was not, I mean, I mean his, his home was not going to be displayed in Southern Living next month. <laughs> There's a fisherman's house. Come on. This guy was more comfortable with his white shrimp boots than he was with, with you know, I'm sure he didn't have white shrimp boots. You get the picture. He was a shalmation. This guy was, that's what he was. <laughs> he was from down the bayou. He was from Coquitry. He was from Buras. He was one of us. That was Peter. His friends were like that. The people he hung out with was like that. People hang out with the same. So this was a, it was a fisherman's house. 
It smelled like fish. They had fishing nets outside. There was, there was crawfish heads in the trash outside. It, was a, it wasn't the norm. Now, now, when Jesus came to this house, he brought a mixed multitude. Not only the fishermen crowd in this house, but there was also the academics, the scribes and the Pharisees were there in that house. They normally would never go to Peter's house. They were in their own houses talking about all the different details of the law and how you need to do this and this and how, the, and how you blah, blah, blah about religious protocol and so forth. And these two crowds were strangely brought together because of the power of God. And that's what the Holy Ghost, he brings cultural mixing. He brings people that would never be together for any other reason. People of different races, from different social strata, from different communities. He brings them and he mixes them together. You begin to get out of the power of God and you're going to gravitate to your own corners again. That's what happens. That's life. But here they were. These, they, and, they, you know, they were uncomfortable with every, the, other, the people in the room. They were uncomfortable with each other. And this is the way Luke explained it, Luke 5, 17. Now it happened on a certain day. As he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee. Wow. And they, were, they came to the fisherman's house. They came from every town out of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. They were crowd, the Pharisees, this is, he's talking about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They'd come out of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and they, that, most of them were not happy about what was happening. Amen. Amen. They weren't. They didn't like it. They ended up killed. These, these are the guys that killed him later on. Now look, in the, but listen to what Luke said. I can, I'm sure Luke was laughing his head off when he wrote this. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them, the power. They stepped into that room, the, power, the dunamis, the word dunamis, that they stepped into the room and there was something in the air. Luke said it was dunamis. There was power in the air. There was power in the very atmosphere in this meeting. Jesus was there. The Holy Ghost was there. The power to change people's lives was there. You know, there's a different, there's different degrees of his presence. There's different degrees. It's not always the same. You know, you've heard me talk about this. You know, Jonathan Edwards used to explain it this way. He said, in the land, in the land of Israel, back in the Old Testament, there was, there was, the presence of God was more prominent in the land of Israel than in the other countries that were nearby. And if you went to Jerusalem, the, the, the anointing was stronger in Jerusalem than it was in other parts of the land of Israel. And if you went to the, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the anointing would increase. And he said if you went to the temple itself, the anointing would be stronger than it was anywhere else in Jerusalem or the surrounding region. But if you went into the holiest of all, the holy of holies, you'd step into the very cloud of the Shekinah glory of the manifest presence of God. There's different degrees. Sure, God was present in the, even in those days in South America or Australia, but not like he was in the holiest of all. Today... God has chosen to live in his local church. Greater, greater measures than anywhere else on the planet. Greater degree than anywhere. I mean, he's everywhere. He's omnipresent. And he can minister in your Bible study and he can minister in your private devotions. But it's not the same. 
is when you come together with the brothers and sisters in the house of God who love his anointing, who want his anointing, who welcome his anointing, with, with preachers and leaders that long for his anointing, that pray for his anointing, and embellish his, allow for his anointing to come. So here we are in this house. Jesus is here with us. He's walking the aisles. He's opening the hearts, touching the hungry hearts, longing for a kiss, longing to be welcomed. And he comes to this place, and as he's here, the power of the Lord is present. The power of the Lord is present in this house to do whatever to do whatever. If you're, if you're here today with fears in your life, he's, he's ready to, to break the chains from off of your life where you, where you don't have to be afraid anymore. If you're bound by alcohol, you've prayed the prayer, you've done everything, you've gone the 12 steps, you even tried 15 steps and it didn't work and you're still bound. There's power in the name of Jesus to liberate you totally. There's power in his name. There's power in his name to break the chains of immorality and promiscuity and addictions. There's power in his, in his name to liberate, to liberate your soul and your mind. There's power in his name to heal your body and to make your body whole. There's power in the name of Jesus. The power of the Lord is present in his local church. The power of his presence is here in this place today. Open hearts. Open hearts received. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at victoryfellowship.net for service times and locations.